Hello, and welcome to another episode of Why Won't You Hire Me? I'm your host, Martin R. Schneider, your unemployed employment specialist. Big thank you to everybody who's listened to the show so far, and everyone who has shared and talked about this with their friends, put it on their LinkedIn network. Don't forget, if you have something to say, if you want to give us some feedback, or if you'd like to be on the show, you can contact us at hiremepodcast at gmail.com, or on Twitter at Podcast. If you've been listening to the show, you've probably figured out that I'm a real sucker for stories about teams and organizations, good or bad. But what you might not know is I'm also a sucker for a real good sports story. My favorite program is ESPN's 30 for 30, and I'm constantly flipping through long-form athlete profiles in ESPN the Magazine or Sports Illustrated. Back when I used to review movies, any film where the inspirational underdogs beat the favorites in a competition pretty much guaranteed at least two stars for me. We all have our soft spots, right? And for me, personally, the best stories with the most dramatic rivalries and the most charismatic characters, they all come from the National Football League. So last Sunday, as I was watching my beloved Jacksonville Jaguars beat Tom Brady and the Patriots 31-20, to a new NFL story caught my eye. It's one that has a lot of people talking about the concepts of commitment and employer loyalty. It's the story of the sudden and unexpected retirement of veteran defensive corner Vontae Davis, who decided that it was time to officially hang up his cleats and end his 10-year career in the league. But what makes this retirement announcement unusual is that Davis didn't bring it up in a press conference or a release. He made the decision in the middle of a game. Davis headed off the field with the rest of the Buffalo Bills at halftime during a game against the Los Angeles Chargers, and then he just didn't come back. Early reports began to trickle out of the locker room that Davis had decided right then and there to retire from football. He told the coaches that he was out, packed up his things, and left. Davis later confirmed this decision in a statement, saying that after multiple injuries and surgeries, quote, Today on the field, it really hit me fast and hard. I shouldn't be out there anymore. I meant no disrespect to my teammates and my coaches, but I hold myself to a standard. Mentally, I always expect myself to play at a high level. But physically, I know that isn't possible. And I had an honest moment with myself. While I was on the field, I just didn't feel right, and I told the coaches I'm not feeling like myself. I also wondered, do I want to keep sacrificing? And truthfully, I do not, because the season is long, and it's more important for me and my family to walk away healthy than to willfully embrace the warrior mentality and limp away too late. As you can imagine, Davis' statement was quite controversial. Fans decried him for his lack of loyalty and his, quote, disrespect to his teammates. There was the normal chorus of people screaming about overpaid athletes and several mentions of kneeling for the national anthem. There is a vocal cacophony of opinions out there about this right now, so let me add mine. Vontae Davis did the right thing. American work culture is dominated by this idea that quitting is bad, that it shows a degree of laziness or a lack of respect for yourself or for others. And sometimes, maybe, that's true. Most of the time, though, it's not that clear-cut. How many people continue to stay in bad situations, remain fixed in toxic personal or professional relationships, because the alternative would mean feeling guilty for leaving, that you didn't try hard enough to work it out? 
How many of us have exhausted ourselves physically and emotionally for a job that would have no problem laying us off at a moment's notice? How many of us have heard underpaid office managers and administrative assistants use the tired cliche, this place would fall apart without me, when asked why they haven't left already? Well, the truth is, that place probably wouldn't fall apart without you. People don't want to hear this, but in the corporate world, you're likely more replaceable than you think you are. There will always be another administrative assistant, another middle manager, another defensive corner to take your place. And on the off chance that you are completely indispensable to your organization, and the entire company is built around having you there, then you should get paid like it. Coincidentally, this is a situation currently facing another NFL player, Pittsburgh Steelers superstar running back Le'Veon Bell, who is in a holdout right now, refusing to take the field or even show up for practice, barring the results of a long-standing contract dispute. But setting aside the romanticized notion of team spirit for a second, let's call Vontae Davis and Le'Veon Bell what they are. They are employees. Their teammates are their co-workers, their coaching staff are managers, and their billionaire team owners are the CEOs of the businesses that they work for. And I cannot stress this enough. You do not owe the company that you work for a damn thing. If Vontae Davis's performance on the field had begun to slip because mentally he had already checked out, then the team owners would have traded him or cut him from the team without any hesitation. It's how the game is played. And you listening at home might have this in common with Vontae. If you live in America, odds are good that you live in an at-will state. That means a state where it's legal for an employer to terminate you at any time for any reason at all. Even no reason. And even if you don't live in an at-will state, you can still be downsized, let go, pushed into early retirement to make room for someone cheaper. It's all evidence that the idea of company loyalty does not go both ways. And if your employer isn't going to be loyal to you, why should you be loyal to them? Okay, so what about Vontae's stunt, leaving at halftime, in the middle of a game that the Bills were losing by 22 points? Well, granted, it's not ideal. It's sort of like leaving work in the middle of a failing project. But the truth is, when you're done, when you're really and truly done, you know. And a teammate who can't be there emotionally and mentally, a teammate who's just going through the motions, that can almost be worse than having no teammate at all. By retiring, Davis is creating a hole that can be filled by someone else more prepared and more willing to do the work than he is. But if he had stayed put and tried to stick it out, he would have been dead weight. Leaving creates more opportunity than staying. And besides, in Vontae Davis's line of work, mental mistakes can lead to physical injury. Of course, most of us don't have the luxury of choosing to retire at age 30 like Vontae Davis, or going on a one-man strike like Le'Veon Bell. Many of us stay in bad jobs because, well, we have to. We need the money. We have rent to pay and kids to feed. So I'm not suggesting that we all hand in our resignation letters at lunchtime today. But if you can do it, and you want to do it, then I think you should do it and not feel guilty. If you've got a few months of savings in the bank, or you've got a very supportive partner, if you can do it, then take the chance. And if you can't, start planning now to get to a point in the near future where you can walk out. Set a walkout date in six months, and then get to it in three. Whatever you do, 
Stop thinking of quit like a four-letter word. You may like your coworkers. You may even love your coworkers. But your ultimate loyalty should be to yourself, not to them. You're not doing them any favors by staying after you've checked out anyway. In the end, or at halftime, only you know what is right for you, and only you can do what's right for you. And you shouldn't let a concept like misplaced loyalty keep you from emotional and physical well-being. Vontae Davis did nothing wrong, and neither will you. So that brings me to our guest today. Maggie Douglas is not a professional athlete, but she does know a little bit about knowing when you're done. Maggie's a 24-year-old communications grad from UT Austin, who currently works in the admissions department of that university. And for the past 10 months, she's been trying to find a way out of that position, looking at jobs more directly related to her writing, editing, and social media interests. As you listen to Maggie, you might notice several places where she's being, in my opinion, a little harsh on herself. She mentions a side job that she feels the need to justify as, quote, a real job. She calls something that she says entitled sounding, and she says that she feels ashamed for not considering certain alternate avenues enough. I don't want to put words in Maggie's mouth, but I don't think that this sense of guilt is 100% organically from her. I think it's just a natural byproduct of a 10-month job search. After a certain period, it's hard not to take it personally when you get a rejection email. You're definitely going to want to compare yourself to the type of person you think got the job, and you'll find yourself coming up short. I've done it, and so have you. It's this bullheaded way of trying to regain a sense of control in a situation where you have none. It's not something you want to do. It'll just make you feel inadequate and defensive. Job hunting is a process of trying to get experience when you need experience, to get the experience. And you'll hear Maggie describe this. That's frustrating enough without second-guessing yourself and selling yourself short. That's why I love the way that Maggie ends this interview, where she says that at the end of the day, literally when you're going to bed at night, it's about making progress and knowing that you did your best. There's a lot of great stuff here, and I'm not going to keep you from it any longer. So now, here's Maggie. Okay, I am here with Maggie Douglas. Maggie is a recent graduate from UT Austin, our second UT Austin grad that we've had on the show. Uh, Maggie graduated last year in communication studies, currently working as an admissions counselor for the university, but that is, uh, that's not what your goal was. Uh, you're looking to get into writing and editing and communications related stuff. Am I right, Maggie? Absolutely. Um, I've been a writer literally my entire life. Um, it's something I've always enjoyed doing. It's something I've always been told I was good at. Um, and I, I, I majored in communication specifically to kind of have that 
that sort of like business side wrapped in with, I mean, the communicative side, right? So if I were to go into editing, now I kind of have this background on how to build, you know, peer relationships or something like that. So if I'm working with authors or, or other writers or something like that, I kind of had that business background, but still got to warp in the creativity. Um, so that's why I didn't major in English or something like that. I really wanted something like kind of more modern. And I really felt like communication was a good fit for me as far as that goes. I mean, as somebody who has an English degree, uh, and now works in communications as you're seeing you you did the smarter move i think <laughs> i think well maybe maybe i'm wrong but still figuring it out uh, well so what does this look like right now so you're currently employed so you work full-time uh so in writing and editing i know that you know you're not going to have much in terms of full-time work so you're pitching a lot i'm assuming correct so currently I, um, I'm slated to do this really big year in feature for a gaming forum where I talk about some games that I have played, um, and their LGBTQ community inclusivity and, you know, diversity inclusion and things like that. Um, so that's going to be a really major writing project that I'm working on. Of course, I mean, that's, it's just a column, right? And it's just going to kind of go within a very like niche community. Um, so it's not anything official, but it's still something I'm excited about and it's still something I'm really passionate about. Um, I do a lot of sort of copywriting in my current role, even though it has absolutely nothing to do with my current role, but they, they enjoy what I've done for them so far, which is good. And I'm hoping that it's, you know, resume fodder, if nothing else. Um, and I've done, I mean, honestly, most of my background is in editing and I think that that's where my career passions lie. So I've done, I mean, the UT paper is actually the oldest student run newspaper and it's also like the most award-winning student run newspaper as far as, you know, college publications go. And I was an editor for them. Um, way back in, you know, yearbooks in high school, I was the main editor for the yearbook in high school. And so like, there's, there've been a lot of projects sort of peppered throughout my life. Um, but I've just never been paid for anything that I've written. Um, so that's going to be a work in progress. That's always the big, like, catch 22 for writers, right? I, I'd like to say don't ever write for free. But there are some times where you're just, like you said earlier, you're just excited to have an outlet to be published somewhere. I wrote for free for years. But also it it makes it easier for places to take advantage of you. As you're like looking for opportunities in writing, uh, do you think that kind of the oversaturation and I think maybe the desperation of people who are in that field make them prime for exploitation? Have you come up with like any red flags? The main red flag that I've seen, and I think that this is just the nature of this new kind of job market that we're seeing emerging um, in, you know, in our generation is that you have to just have so much experience, but you can't get experience without getting experience, but you need experience to get experience, right? Like it's this, like you said, catch 22, it's this huge cyclical thing. Um, the main thing that I am seeing is that I am getting passed up for jobs that I feel qualified for because people will have internships in, let's say social media, um, or, you know, or they did a little bit more journalistically, like I, on paper, I'm an editor. Yes. But like, you know, some people may have written a lot more for the college paper or had a higher up editing role or things like that. So they just they on paper, they they have a lot more experience, even though I'm just as skilled as, as someone else might be. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I think the the biggest like red flag, I guess, that's how you put it, um, that I have seen is just, you know, just that cyclical nature of you need experience. But how do I get it first? Right. Um, and so that's kind of been the biggest like drawback, I think, to to what I have seen out there. Well, let, let me ask this for context. What are some of the types of jobs you're applying for? Are you looking for like a staff writer, a staff editor position? Uh, or are you looking for like regular freelance work? Uh, wh where have you applied? What types of job titles? 
So in Austin, we have, I mean, we're Silicon Valley 2.0, right? The Silicon Hills is what they call it. So I'm looking at a lot of like tech sort of related jobs, but so I'm looking at social media coordinator positions. I'm looking at, I did apply for editorial, um, an editorial assistant position recently, and I felt overqualified for it because it was really more of an administrative position to an editor um, kind of role. And it was an $8,000 pay cut from what I was currently making. And so I just thought like, there's no way they don't call me for it. And then lo and behold, I just got a rejection letter a couple of weeks ago for it. So editorial assistant is kind of something I've been looking at. Um, There's only so much publishing that's happening in Austin, though. So that's kind of why I'm, okay, well, if I'm not getting the industry that I want, let's look at roles that I want in industries that do exist here. You know what I mean? Um, So that's when I'm kind of turning to startups or um, social media firms or even like marketing and advertising firms because they need, you know, marketing associates. And and my train of thought is, well, we all have to start somewhere. So I'm fine doing a marketing as- associate role where I'm doing a lot of like copywriting or things like that. Like I said, a lot of people have internships in these things. And that's just something that I, I never got the opportunity to do while I was still a student. And now that I'm, you know, now that I am a professional, I can't just go to an unpaid internship. That's just not realistic for someone, you know, that's been paying. I'm used to paying bills for the last, you know, 14 months. So um, that's not something I can't just cut out my income just to be able to get free experience, you know? Well, in the last episode, uh, you may have heard me go off on unpaid internships. And this is one of the dis- the disadvantages of them. Uh, it basically, the only people who can afford to work for free are people who are already having family members pay their rent, their tuition. So the only people who can get the experience to get the experience during their college years are you know people who already have a leg up. That's the frustrating part. Exactly. Exactly. And that's actually, I noticed that that's, I mean, and, and that's something that I see kind of on the back end, you know, I'm admitting the student body now. So I kind of have this, I was a student and now I get to see what kind of students we're admitting. And money is very, very, very prevalent for college students right now. Expound on that a little bit more. How has working in admissions changed your beliefs about the education system and now that you work in this would you have picked a different major would you have done uh your college a little bit differently i absolutely would have i i always think maybe i would have gone more um maybe into pr so so the thing about communication studies was that it was a very theoretical research focused major which is something that i wasn't really aware of till i got there Um, I thought that I'd be learning a lot of like hands-on stuff, like how to be a really good communicator in the workplace. And really, I took, I mean, one of my classes was all about the psychology of lying and deceiving people, which yes, that is communication related, but that doesn't really help me get a leg up on anything when I'm going out into the real world, to be honest with you. Um, So it was very, very theoretical, very, very conceptual, just a lot of like kind of going through research, um, not a lot of case studies either. So again, nothing hands-on, nothing very applicable in my opinion. So if I could do it over, I might go more the PR route so that I could get something very, very hands-on. I could learn what it's like to be you know, in the media sphere or something like that. I also, honestly, I might consider going more toward, so at UT, we had a, we have a major called rhetoric and writing. Um, And I, you know, I I will kick myself for the rest of my life for not going maybe more the writing route since that's, at least then I could at least say, hey, I majored in writing. I'm a writer, you know. I feel like if you were in the PR route, you would still probably take the science of lying class. Just a hunch. You, you might be absolutely right about that, um, but at least I might have had more classes. So my sample size of, of conceptual versus hands-on classes might have been, um, you know, maybe the ratio would have been a little bit more balanced instead of the, the 90% conceptual that I, that I ended up with, you know? 
the other part of your question was what do what else what do I see now that I'm on the inside in terms of the student body or the education system as a whole um, and honestly like just to go back to that there are just a lot of really rich white people that get into college um, and and, and I, mean, I, I say I that statistically it's Good to hear it put so bluntly. You know, there's there's a really big push for diversity, and and we do a lot of outreach. But if at the end of the day, if they can't afford, you know, uh, what's considered a public Ivy, I mean, like I, my my position is unique because UT Austin is such a big deal, and it is such a esteemed, you know, it's such an esteemed university, and so we're fortunate for that. Um, but at the end of the day, that does make it expensive, and Austin, Texas, is expensive. Um, and so at the end of the day, like we just, we really aren't attracting the students that, that we say on paper that we want to. Um, and so that's just like, like I said, I mean, I, I say that bluntly, yes, but it's, it's statistical, you know? So you've been looking while working full time. How is that affecting your job search? That's a good question. Like I said, I'm just not in a position where I can have it any other way right now. Um, I've been in this role for a little over a year. Um, August, the beginning of August was, was my anniversary here. Um, and I, I mean, I would honestly think that having that under my belt would be a good thing. Um, but it, you know, I, I do do 40, 40 to 60 hours a week. There's a lot of overtime in my job with college fairs and stuff like that, that happen in the evening. Um, and I'm also actually working, this is, this isn't really relevant to my job search. I don't feel like, but I, I, I host trivia nights around Austin. Um, there's a really big trivia community here and I do host for them. And I consider that a job because I've got my set nights that I have, you know, I have to do certain things for throughout the week. I write a blog every week. So there's a little bit more writing that, that I can talk about, but I consider it a job because it's something I have to show up to it. I have to do the work. I have to put the time in and I get paid for it. Um, so I'm actually kind of balancing two things right now. I don't know if it's affecting my job search so much as it's it's kind of honestly making me want out even more because if I do, let's say I sit down for two hours, I allocate two hours to, okay, let's let's find some companies. Let's find some open positions. Let's write these cover letters, right? Then those are two hours that I'm just thinking, look at all these amazing things that I could be doing right now. And then when those two hours are over, then I have to go back to this to this job that's just not fulfilling to me, you know? And that's kind of why I asked. I've Some people say that the best time to look for a job is when you already have a job. I tend to disagree. I mean, obviously, it's nice to have that security. It's nice to know that your bills are going to be paid. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's really difficult to do anything after you've put in 40 to 60 hours of work, let alone go and fill out job applications or develop pitches or, God forbid, write anything. <laughs> That, I mean, as somebody who has written for a living, uh, it's so hard when you're to write for yourself or to write the stuff that you say you want to write. If you're at a computer, you're working all day. The last thing you want to do is come home and cruise LinkedIn uh, or write your article on LGBT representation in video games. How's that Spider-Man play along going, by the way? Oh my gosh, I am loving it. There's actually there's a lot of pride stuff in it as well in Greenwich Village. So that's probably why I asked. Form. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that was that was a nice little surprise when I when I found those Easter eggs. But um, but it, I mean to to answer your question, it's a very fun game. How are you combating burnout? It can get probably frustrating, especially because you've been doing this for about ten months. You said, what are you doing to keep yourself fresh and keep yourself from? Uh, getting real frustrated with it what do you, or how do you cope with that frustration do you mean in frustration with my current job or the job search itself let's go with the job search okay um honestly it's 
it's just that human nature where, you know, you're, you're working toward progress. You know, that's just something that, that we all do is at the end of the day, it's like, am I, if I'm really this unhappy, what can I do about it? And the answer here is look, you know, put yourself out there, put, put those applications in, write those cover letters and everything. Um, so it really just boils down to, it's not going to happen unless I do put the work in. How often do you find yourself considering just freelance opportunities? Is that something that you're opening that you're open to? Are you, are you looking strictly for like permanent positions or are you looking for just freelance positions as well? That's a really good question. Um, and I'm, I'm honestly ashamed to say that that's not an avenue that I have really pursued right now. Um, I think, you know, as much as I want this dream, like my dream job, right? Let's say I'm a writer. That's my dream job or an editor. As much as I want those and as much as I'm aggressively trying to get those opportunities right now, the name of the game is to get out of my current role. Um, but the, my, my, my thought process is, well, if I am going to leave, you know, my, my nice salary, free health insurance job, then it might as well be in this, a step in the right direction for my career overall. Um, and so maybe, maybe that's kind of my disjointed thinking. Maybe that's on me, um, is thinking, okay, like I have to get to this next step, um, because of where I'm starting from. Um, but freelancing, I mean, now that you mention it, like I would absolutely do it. That's, that's how writers build their portfolios. You know, that's how writers build their resumes. Um, and, and that is something, you know, I've, I've had friends and family that have written novels that have said, Hey, I want you to be the editor for this. Like I'm in, I'm in the copyright page of a novel that's been published. It was not good, but I'm still the editor for it. Right. (laughs) Um, and so like, those are things that I can keep doing. And those are the things that do bring me joy. So I, I, I should think of it more as, Hey, let's, let's put it the time into, you know, building myself up for these roles and not just trying to take the leap of faith out of what I'm already doing. Does that make sense? I think it makes perfect sense. Well, I, I think you're being a little too hard on yourself. Uh, it's not necessarily, I appreciate that. <laughs> it's not necessarily all on you on this one. Uh, simply because I think you're at a disadvantage in that the kinds of roles you're looking for are slowly disappearing or they're going part-time. Uh, Similar to how uh, in a previous episode we talked about how many universities are slipping away from tenured professors and relying more and more on adjunct. You know, the idea of a paper having a staff writer or a regular columnist uh, that is just on staff to do one thing, those days are kind of slipping away. Those positions are nowhere near as uh, popular or as present as they were 15, 20 years ago. Uh, And it's just a move by this industry and many other industries to rely mostly on cheap freelance labor that they don't have to pay benefits and stuff for. That's basically where Mm -hmm. the work is. That's not your fault, uh, but it is just an adaptation that I think most writers, most people who work in that field have had to make. And even if you get that gig, now they're, sliding away and pivoting to video i say on my audio based podcast oh you don't have to get me started on video i'm, I'm in total agreement with you on that one. Oh, can i get you started on video please do <laughs> otherwise I'm, it's gonna I'm be the, a boring part of the show i i'm the worst millennial i hate videos i don't watch them that's like all my facebook feed is it feels like um i loved vines because they were six seconds long i could enjoy them and then i could move on with my life but there's no way that i want to sit there and 
and you know half the video is a reading anyway because they'll like they'll have you know they'll have that slow motion pan over a still photo and then have like two paragraphs for you to read on on you know anyway I, I don't like that format. Um, I don't think that I don't think it's useful, and I don't think that it's really achieving what they want it to. Unless the only thing they're trying to achieve is people with those kinds of attention spans. So let's let's tease this a little bit more. How how are you monitoring and checking out changes in your industry uh, and adjusting for it? You mentioned this a little bit earlier. How you kind of changed your plan, but are you like keeping track of writing and editing trends uh, or like? publishing trends like the shift to video? Um, not so much in, you know, in a research or an analytical way. Um, but it's something that, you know, as an editor, I'm, I'm very aware of things and I have this, you know, this, this attention to detail, um, that, that I'm quite proud of. And so any, like if I were to, if I do notice them, it's cause I'm noticing them in action, if that makes sense. Um, and that's why I, I, I really enjoy being really present on social media. That's how I stay connected to the world. That's how I learn about these trends and learn about these changes. And, you know, I, I've watched this shift from, Oh, let's just post a status about how sad we are today to let's post a video about, you know, this woman, Okay, this is a really bad example because I actually really do love this video, but that's why it's coming to mind. The woman that had the bumblebee that didn't have wings. Yeah. I loved that video. I totally, yeah, I definitely watched that one. But, um, like, that could have been an article, you know? And 10 years ago, it would have been a great article. And I'm not saying that it was a bad video, but it didn't need to be a video. Um, And so there's, like, anyway, all this to say, like, I'm noticing these trends more in action and trying to figure out in my own head, hey, what does this mean, you know? long term or what does this mean on more of a macro scale um and so that's how i do know you know i do notice those those shifts to video or i do notice the the shift to freelance work like that does not go under my radar i promise you i just haven't quite figured out how to make that work for myself yet so how far have you gotten uh on this job hunt you've been looking for 10 months have you gotten interviews uh or is it is it have you gotten interviews the the only interview that i've formally gotten um, was for a customer support role for um, just like a tech startup. And at the end of the day, I realized kind of, I mean, maybe this is me shooting myself in the foot, but it would have been a pay cut first of all. But also I just, I don't want to go back into customer support. That's what I was doing when I was still a student. Um, and like I said, I really, I really want to push myself into doing something that I want to do and making myself feel like it's a progressive move for myself. Um, and so in that way, I like I'm hearing myself say that now, and it sounds really like entitled, like, well, you had the opportunity, Maggie, why didn't you take it? But at the end of the day, like we want to do something that's fulfilling for us, you know, um, and answering answering customer support phone calls. I don't know that would would have been a really good career move for me. Um, that was the only interview that I've gotten. I a really good friend of mine did refer me just to this morning um, for a position that I feel like I could do. And other people within his company have told me I would be able to do. Um, and his company is really good about reaching out to every single referral that they have. Um, so hopefully I'll at least, you know, get that kind of first screening with a recruiter in the next week or so for that. Um, and, you know, hopefully that goes really well. It goes as well as I want it to. Um, but that is, it's, it's an analyst role. And, and so that's something that I could see myself doing more than, you know, just answering tech support calls. Um, but other than that, quite honestly, the only other thing, this is actually a really good example. Um, and I would love to dive into this more. The only other thing that I have gotten was within the enrollment management umbrella. So that's, like I said, the department that I work for. They opened up a brand new position at the beginning of the summer called social media coordinator. And so I was like, well, 
this is perfect for me. I get to bring in the skills that I already had combined with the experience that I've gotten within this department, and I could knock this out of the park. So I got an interview for it, and it was one of the best interviews I have ever had in my life. Um, we were like, you know, we were just, we had a really good rapport. Just the second I walked in the room, they praised me for being able to kind of adapt my interview. Like things that I brought up at the end of the interview, just naturally in conversation were things that they had brought up at the beginning, which showed that I paid attention and was like thinking on the fly and like all of these things, which was all good and well until they told me they would have picked me if I had more social media experience. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. That and that's sucks. just something like I can't get it until I, until I do it, you know? Um, and, and so anyway, that was as well as that interview went and they were actually really nice women. They, we all went to lunch after I got my rejection letter from them. They invited me to lunch to talk about it, um, and to give me some more advice and like how to tweak my resume to maybe, you know, be a little bit more marketable for something like that. And I'm just thinking like, well, if I wasn't marketable enough to you and I basically already work for you guys, like how could I be marketable to someone that doesn't know me well enough? But um, it was a really good experience. Um, it was disheartening a little bit, but at least I, you know, at least I got that far in it. And I, and I did feel better about myself for having done that. I want to talk about something you said just a couple of minutes ago where you, you said you heard yourself and you felt like you sounded entitled uh, because you turned down a job that you were well overqualified for that would have been a pay cut. That does not sound like entitlement to me. Okay, that's good. There's me being hard on myself again. Well, it's not just you. I think it's a generational thing. Uh, I think that there's a hang-up for those of us between the ages of, like, 24 and 35, where we're used to being... We're used to hearing that we've been entitled little brats, uh, simply because we spend our lives being told that we have to go to college and put ourselves thousands of dollars into debt, otherwise we'll wind up flipping burgers, and then we get out of that college and there are no jobs but answering cu customer service calls or flipping burgers. And when we refuse to do that, the same generations that told us to go to college say that we're entitled for not taking those jobs. It's it's the millennial dilemma, you know, um, and that, that harkens back to I cannot remember his name off the top of my head and I won't type because it'll be too loud. But the, the gentleman at Trader Joe's that was on the Cosby show. Oh, correct. So yeah, yeah. You, you're telling me you're telling me I need to I, I can't be entitled about having a job. But then when we take a job, we get job shamed for it. So it's it's I mean, we can just never win. So at the end of the day, you just got to do what's best for you, you know. And I think that it's not entitlement on your part. I think it's just you noting, knowing and realizing your own value. Which, if I appreciate that, I mean, that's that's a, at the end of the day, if I were to be honest with myself, that's exactly what it was. And that's like if anybody who listens to this podcast takes any lesson, I want that to be it. Like, know and understand <laughs> what your value, what you're worth. That's another thing with uh, internships. Turns out you get paid more if you took a paid internship because you understand what your labor is worth. Of course. What is something you wish people would ask when you were in an interview? What is the thing that you're just dying to talk about and want to like use to sell yourself? How okay, so I think if this is the immediate thing that comes to mind and I might stumble through this cuz I'm kind of thinking out loud here on the fly, but I wish that people would look at my resume and then ask me to kind of explain what I've gotten out of it. Um because I mean it if you look at my job description, I've done so much more than that. And I've learned so much more than what you might think. And I've grown professionally and personally more than I can just put on one page. Um, and I kind of wish that people would say, oh, so you were an editor. Like, what was your daily life like as an editor? Or what did you really enjoy about doing that? Instead of just being like, 
oh, you just did copy. And so, I mean, yes, I just did copy because that's what, you know, that's where we start. Um, or if, you know, people are like, oh, so you, you've been recruiting for the university, but that means that you're not qualified for maybe something tech related. Well, actually I'm on a tech team, um, in the, within admissions where we explore and implement communication technology initiatives. And I'm, you know, I'm certified in WebEx, apparently that's certification. And I'm, I actually am certified in like Google ad or, um, AdWorks or whatever it's called. Clearly I'm qualified for that. Um, and so there, I mean, yes, I can list these things, but I wish that people would ask me to elaborate on them in a way that they get to see my thought process and the way that I have learned and grow, like grown through those roles. Does that make sense? Sure. This stuff is listed on your resume though, correct? Like it says correct. it on yes. it. Okay. Okay. But yes, you, you wish that, that someone would ask you uh, how, how everything connects. So this is a good example. Um, my intern, quote, quote, internship was I did the Disney college program. So I moved my ass out to Florida. I packed up everything. I packed, I made the cat sit in a, the front of a moving truck for 24 hours. Like I moved my entire life to Orlando so that I could, well, A, quite honestly, live out my dream because I had never been to the Disney parks before. And I just thought that, that sounded really fun. Um, but it was an internship. I mean, like I got college credit for it and I, I had to learn to live in a new, not only new city, but a new state for, I'd never lived outside Texas before. And I'd never been to these parks before. So there's this adapt, there was a constant adaptation and constant growth throughout all of this. But also, this is probably not news to anyone listening to this, least of all you. Disney, working for Disney is freaking hard. Like it's hard on your body. It's hard on your wallet. It's hard on your mental health because you're just, you're doing this and you're, you're just this face, right? I mean, so obviously my name is Maggie. My managers there called me Megan for six months. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. And so I'm doing all of this work and, and killing my feet and killing my back, uh, you know, in my sketcher shoes, because that was, that was my uniform there. Sorry. That was my costume there. But on paper, how do I, how do I say like all of those things that went into it? Right. Like, you don't put, oh, I moved across the country. Look at me. Look how independent I am. You don't put that on your resume. You put, oh, I'm, you know, I operated three three attractions in Epcot with an emphasis on guest service and safety. And I interacted with 10,000 people daily. Like I can list all of these things, which is, you know, which is great. But anyway, where I'm going with this is my current boss. So one of the things that when um, when she hired me, she said she saw that on my resume and knew how hard Disney works their people. I worked for Apple for two and a half years prior to going to this internship. And Apple, again, they, I mean, as much crap as they get, like they hire smart people. Like they, it takes a lot to, to run, you know, the tech world. And so she, she really like, she's like, I know what it takes to work at Apple and I know what it takes to work at Disney. And that's why I was impressed with you. And I wish that more employers would see it that way and not just look at the job description and think she didn't get anything out of this that would be relevant moving forward. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of the reason you go to work for these companies is so that you have the reputation on the resume, but not every, of course, not every employer is familiar with that. And there's nothing you can do about that. Right. I mean, that's fair. You're right. It, for, for, for every employer that says, I know how hard they work you at Disney, there could be one to three others that say, ha, you went to Florida and hung out with Mickey Mouse for six months. You know, <laughs> I it, mean, you're not wrong. That, that's, just, that's, I, that's, that's just what it feels like. Yeah. I mean, Disney has been in the news a little bit lately because of how they treat their and pay their workers. But that doesn't help you too much at this point. It does not. I, I will always have that $10 an hour paycheck sitting back there way, way back in my bank account. But now they're paying $15, which is good. 
Yeah, it's it's better. It's a start. Quite honestly, like I said, it really just comes down to you can't see progress for yourself unless you try to make it happen. And I think that that's just like that's it's it's a good moti- it's it's a good motive to have. Quite honestly, um, and it's 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 how I sleep at night. It's just knowing you know what I did my best today, and I think that's what everyone that's on this podcast can do. You know. All right, Maggie Douglas, looking for writing and editing work in the Austin area. Actually, uh, should have asked this. Just the Austin area, or like, sounds like you're willing to relocate. Uh, so, oh, I would, right? I would love to relocate. the The problem is, though, I'm in a lease here until the end of May. So, um, I'm. I mean, I would, I would be willing to stay past that, but that's that's the soonest if I were to relocate that I would be able to. Well, if you're looking for a writer or editor, and you don't mind waiting until May or helping Maggie break her lease. Uh, wherever you are, <laughs> Maggie's portfolio and LinkedIn page and everything will be linked in the show notes. Uh, Maggie, thanks for coming on. Everyone else, if you need a writer and editor, you know where to find one now. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. Hey, thanks for coming on, Maggie. That's it for this episode of Why Won't You Hire Me? Remember, if you like what you're hearing, you can support the show by sharing it with your friends, subscribing, Hitting that like button and reviewing and giving ratings. That helps us get into other people's earbuds. Helps us show up in iTunes algorithms. You can also send us a message at hiremepodcast at gmail.com. This time, I want to hear some stories from you about jobs that you've quit. Send me your best quitting stories and I'll read them in a future episode. Until next time, I'm Martin Schneider, your unemployed employment specialist. Encouraging you to know what you're worth.